following teaching is from the Warrior's Heart Bible Study for Men. You can find us on the web at warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see you all. Eric has been asking me to uh, do this for quite some time, and I thought that there may be um, I thought there may be a reason why it just, it just hadn't happened. I was supposed to speak, I guess, last semester. And uh, prior to when I was supposed to come, my family and I took a trip to San Antonio. Um, we had never been as a family. So we went to go check out the Alamo and do, do all that sort of thing there. But while we were there, I had a great trip. Uh, caught a Spurs game. Like, it was a beautiful trip. However... On the way home, um, we actually stopped at a restaurant, and somebody broke in our car, uh, knocked the windows out, and took our stuff. And one of the things they took was my computer, which had all my notes for what I was going to talk about. So I'm glad that we finally get the opportunity to, to be here with you guys. I'm not, I'm not used to being up this early, so uh, I, know how to, I know how to pray for you guys if you come regularly. I know what to be praying for. I know exactly what to be praying for. Well, today my charge is to walk through uh, this idea of what I'm calling remembering the mandate. Um, I'm going to use the Apostle Paul kind of as a backdrop, but I'm not going to do a biological or biological, a uh, chronological sketch of his life. Uh, I'm going to use some of his words as a way of encouraging us as men. So I have to think, and this is a men's Bible study. And you know, Psalm 133 basically says there's something valuable about us getting together, how good and how pleasant it is when, when brothers come together in unity. And to think that you would sacrifice sleep to get here, to, to hear the word of God, I think that's significant. And so um, I want to talk about remembering the mandate, and specifically I'm referring to biblical manhood, the mandate of biblical manhood, uh, but I'm going to use the Apostle Paul's words as somewhat of a backdrop. And so if you grab one of those handouts there, we're going to walk through 1 Corinthians 16, 13. And this is actually one of my favorite verses. This is actually one of my life verses. This is actually one of my life verses. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 reads as follows. Be alert. Stand firm. In the faith. Act like men. Be strong. I'm going to ask you guys to repeat those four phrases after me, if you would. Be alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. How many of you have ever been over to the fitness and recreation ministry and uh, gone and, and utilized the facilities over there? By show of hands. Four of y'all. All right. So. We're going to pray the Lord will give y'all some conviction after this morning. Well, there's a thing, uh, a painting on the wall that highlights this verse. As a matter of fact, I'm going to show it to you. This is actually on the wall in the locker room. And I remember the first time I saw it, something in me kind of lit up because I was like, man, that's one of my life verses. And I thought it was fitting from the standpoint of most of us as men have been inundated with things that communicate what does it mean to be a man. But as I'm hearing a lot of what's being communicated in the culture, I'm not hearing things that define us as men the way that that the the scriptures do. And so really what I want to do is use this verse to put before you 
how the Apostle Paul would encourage us to be men. Four directives, but I think that you will be encouraged to know that there is an expectation that God has, and my hope is that if there are some some, uh, perspectives that you have owned, that you have embraced, that maybe this will push against that in a way that God can be honored in your manhood, in your manhood. So here we go. You've got a handout there on your table. I want to give you that first blank. I'm calling this remembering the mandate, and I'm focusing on the word man in that. And here's what I mean by mandate. A mandate is a command or authorization to act in a particular way, a decree. The Apostle Paul closes out this letter to the saints in Corinth with some words of encouragement. And the word encouragement literally means to put courage into. So he's trying to invest in these guys in such of a way that they'll, they'll continue pushing back darkness and carrying out the call that God has put before them. However, in the previous 15 chapters, he actually addresses issues like sexual immorality, uh, Christians taking each other to court, um, abuse of spiritual gifts. Like the, the, the Corinthian church was a very talented church but a very immature church, very gifted, but very, very immature. And as I look around this room, I see some, some, some gentlemen with some gray hair, which I see as a sign of life lived here on earth. But I also would like to assume that that could mean wisdom. That's not always the case. Paul was essentially pointing to this idea of Maturity isn't necessarily directly equated with age. Could be, but not necessarily. And so he's trying to encourage these guys to move forward. Unfortunately, Corinthians was a very decadent place. As a matter of fact, there was a term used in that culture which would admit to act like a Corinthian to symbolize just the sexual immorality that that place was known for. And so while we are men who want to walk out our manhood, I would love to just give you four moral moral exhortations from this verse to explain what it means to remember the mandate. The first thing Paul tells us is to be alert, to be alert, to stay watchful, to be cautious, to give very strict attention to your thoughts, your words, and your actions. In other words, to live intentionally. Living intentionally means you need to know why you're doing what you're doing. It's amazing to me the number of times I interact with men and I ask, why are you doing this? And the response is, well, I don't know. That's not living with intentionality. When Paul says be alert, essentially what he's saying is if you're going to be secure in your relationship with Jesus, it's going to require that you understand there's not much in the culture that values manhood. As a matter of fact, there's much in the culture that devalues manhood. So by saying be alert, he's just saying, look, I need you to see with eyes that don't necessarily show on your face. I need you to engage in such a way that you can see what maybe isn't naturally visible. The young Corinthian church here, they were partially in the the, the problem they were in. They were partially in that space because they let the culture of the day dictate how they lived. 
I'll say that again. They let the culture of the day dictate how they live. Some of you know that um, I have the privilege of serving the Houston Rockets as the, the lead chaplain. So my charge in that position is to really challenge these guys to use their platform for the glory of God. I want to show you a picture to kind of illustrate what I mean by be alert. So Dwight Howard took this picture of James Harden sleeping on the plane. And we can kind of laugh. He's making all these little, little, matter of fact, he put on here, but I'm sleep. So everybody in social media world is seeing this and kind of having fun at it at James' expense. If I could translate be alert into modern vernacular, here's what I would tell you. Don't sleep. Don't sleep. Because when I played basketball and this sort of thing happened, there was all kind of crazy stuff that happened while you were sleeping. And you found out after the fact. What Paul is saying is, as it relates to walking out your manhood, don't sleep. Don't take days off. You don't get a vacation. If you're going to walk this thing out in a way that God is honored, don't sleep. You might get caught slipping. You might get caught slipping. You know why Satan attempts to attack us as men? He attacks God's creative order because he knows he can't attack God. So it's like if I can't mess with him, then I'm going to mess with his kids. Because then I can get to him. If we're not alert, then we, we essentially put ourselves in a position for that to happen. Gentlemen, don't sleep. Be alert. Be watchful. There is a world around you that cares nothing about your God. And truth be told, you may be the only Bible they ever read. Not with your words, but with your life. Be alert. Be alert. Now, how do we practically do this? With each of these points, I'm going to give you just a very practical application and walking this out. How do we do this? You stay alert by acknowledging Christ as the absolute leader of your life. The absolute leader of your life, the outright, the unrestrained, no limitations. Like I am completely committed. I pledge allegiance to Christ. I'm sold out. Acknowledging Christ as the absolute leader of your life. Do you realize you cannot be the man of God? That God wants you to be alone. I find it interesting. I've, I've been seeing this pattern. So I told you I do some work with athletes. I'm, I'm here at the church a lot. I'm dealing with men in different spheres of life. I'm seeing this pattern. If we're talking just marriage, if we're talking um, relationships, business or personal, I'm seeing this pattern where guys start falling off more often than not. Is when they start trying to live like little bitty islands. So they're isolated. They haven't given anyone the right to speak truth, even sometimes hard truth into their life. So what happens is when when life starts dealing them lemons and they don't know how to make lemonade, they start falling victim to all kind of crazy sin. Here's what I would love for you to wrestle with in this moment. What does that look like for you practically? Like I've been in enough church gatherings, enough church settings to see this pattern time and time again. Most of us have not given anyone the right to speak that hard truth to us. Which is really at its core pride. 
And pride in and of itself doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. I mean, there is good pride. But I'm talking about the pride that says, I don't need anybody. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. We're called the body of Christ. We're not called the finger of Christ or the arm of Christ. We're called the body, which means there are different members. And collectively, the body works when every member functions as it's supposed to. Well, if you're a member of the body of Christ, if you're a believer, if you love Jesus, but you're not connected, you're no different than that index finger that's been cut off. If that index finger gets reattached to the body, then blood can start to flow. But if that thing stays disconnected to the body from the body, it's just a matter of time before it slowly shrivels and dies. Gentlemen, you were not meant to live this thing alone. You need three people, at least three people in your life, at least three. You'll need what I call a Paul. You'll need a Timothy and you'll need a Barnabas. See what Paul's do. It's Paul's, they know a little bit more than you. Matter of fact, I'm encouraged to, to even as I'm being here, one of my Paul's is, is this gentleman right here, Alan Durham. Older gentleman in my life, he's lived a little bit longer than me. So when we get together and talk, I'm, I'm listening because he's got perspective. I just don't have. We need Paul's. We also need Timothy's. Timothy's are people that we can invest our lives in. And though Timothy, in his relationship to Paul, was younger, your Timothy doesn't necessarily have to be younger than you. Matter of fact, the guy who was my Paul was younger than me. As his Timothy, I was older than him. But he had been walking with the Lord a lot longer than I had. You need a Paul, you need a Timothy, and you need a Barnabas. Barnabas literally means son of encouragement. You need somebody that's just going to come around and love on you from time to time. To kind of prop your arms up like, like Aaron and her did Moses when he got tired. If you've got those three people in your life, you're going to be in a much better position to walk this thing out and to be absolutely committed to the things of Christ. If you don't have those people, here's what I would put before you. You need to start asking God, who's my Paul, who's my Timothy, and who's my Barnabas? And who do I need to be those people for? So it's a, it's a both and. It's not just you consuming. It's also you investing. That's how you keep Christ as the absolute leader of your life, because when you've got a Paul that's been given the right to challenge you lovingly, it'll keep you, in, it'll keep you on point. When you don't have that, when the only voice you're listening to is the one in your head, it's just a matter of time before you find yourself isolated. And isolation, I would argue, is one of the enemy's best tactics. It's like that little deer in the woods. I don't hunt. I'm from the hood, but we, we, I don't do guns. So. But I got friends that hunt. Seeing that little deer on the scope, when he's by himself, it's a whole lot easier to pick that deer off. But when there's a pack of them, when there's a community, it's a, it's a little more difficult. Isolation is one of the enemy's best tactics. One of the, I'm going I'm to ask you to write this question down. Um, so as we get ready to end, when we get ready to end here in a bit for some table time, some discussion time, here's a question I would love for you all to, journey, to, to dialogue about. What is your current plan for spiritual growth? What are you currently doing so that this time next month you're not in the same place spiritually that you are right now? And if you don't have a plan, then I would tell you that's your plan. You ain't growing. You're not growing. You do know that Jesus did not die for you to stay the same. 
He died that you might look more like him. But that's a process. And if you don't have a plan, it ain't happening. It ain't like a chia pit. You just add water and just add Bible study. Just add warrior's heart. No, you got to have a plan. That's one of the questions I want to give you in the way of discussion around the table. What is your current plan of spiritual growth look like? Those multiple points of accountability. The next thing Paul says is to stand firm in the faith. Now, this is interesting. If you think about just the way this verse is laid out, this is a logical progression. First, he talked about being alert. Well, a man who's asleep can't stand. You ever seen a sleepy person try to stand up? At some point, they hit the flow. So if you think about this, the way this verse is laid out, when he says be alert, do not sleep. It makes sense that the next progression is to stand firm in the faith because a man who is asleep can't stand up, much less can he stand firm. So here we go. Stand firm in the faith. Adhere to the word of God and do not trade it for worldly wisdom. Gentlemen, this is our standard. I'm not telling you anything today that you don't know. All I want to do is reinforce some truth that you've probably heard somewhere along the line. Don't trade the word of God for worldly wisdom. A man who will not stand for a man. Let me say this way. A man who stands for nothing will fall for anything. Our standard is the word of God. That's our standard. Adhere to the word of God and don't trade it for worldly wisdom. What Paul is saying here is by standing firm in the faith, you prevent yourself from falling for lies. And this is key because every good lie has grains of truth in it. Every good lie has grains of truth in it. That's how Satan got. That's how Satan made his way in the garden. He told them a lie, but it had some elements of truth in it. Knowing the word of God means that you and I have a real enemy who wants to take us out. And here's what here's here's what I'm getting at. Some of you in this room right now are on the verge of walking into something that's going to challenge you as it relates to you walking out your manhood. The question is, well, where will you run? What form of comfort will you seek out? Will it be some form of escapist activity? Or will it be God's truth? If we're honest, most of us, our default is not to run to God. We run from him. Paul was like, no, 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 no. Stand firm in the faith. Get in the scriptures. Get around some people who are going to tell you what thus saith the Lord. It may not be comfortable, but God ain't called none of us to comfort. As a matter of fact, if you got a Bible and you see that in there, you got a bad translation of the Bible. Stand firm in the faith. The way this is written in the original Greek, it actually means to stand and keep on standing. And so really what he's saying is this isn't a one time thing. This is an everyday thing. A biblical man every day has to make a conscious decision to stand. Has to make a conscious decision to persevere. With humility. Standing firm in the faith looks like this. How do you do this? Obeying Christ in all things. John 14, 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. 
Obeying Christ in all things really calls us to deal with the sin in our lives. And it's interesting. I love Jesus and I love church, but I, I don't see us talking a lot about sin in, con- in settings like this, which for me is frustrating. Because I get to see what happens when sin isn't dealt with, when marriages are in the ditch, when dudes are making decisions that they can't recover from. Obey Christ in all things. This is what this is what I'm talking about when I say stand firm in the faith. There needs to be a declaration. That I'm going to follow the truth, even if it hurts me. Because I have a savior who set a precedent for what this looks like, so it's not like you're being asked to do something that's never been walked out. But you won't know that if you aren't spending time in God's word. There are people I wrote this statement down. I want to make sure I read this to you correctly. There are people that have been incarcerated. Incapacitated and even invalidated for some of the very sins that you and I once committed. There are men that have been incarcerated incapacitated and even invalidated for some of the very sins you and I have once committed. When we obey Christ in all things, essentially what that means is we have to appreciate who God is in his character. But you can't do that if you don't know how angry he is at your sin. I didn't say at you. I said at your sin. We love to talk about how good God is. But I find it ironic if you consider you can't appreciate the love of God if you don't really understand the wrath of God. If it's all Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible. If it's all that, then what's going to happen is God is just this big genie in a bottle who who makes everything better. But you can't appreciate that good, that gift, if you don't understand what's caused the gift to even be necessary. Obeying Christ in all things is understanding that sin promises an illusion that you and I can't manage. As a matter of fact, as sin matures, the ability to keep our arms around it, to keep it under wraps, we lose the ability to do that. I met with a young man just yesterday, just yesterday. And this issue came up because. He essentially said, hey, um, well, he didn't say I kind of called him out on it. He's like, hey, I'm living with my girl right now. And I said, uh, y'all get married here pretty soon. huh?" He's like, yeah. I said, so what, what's the thought there? He's like, well, you know, she was in school and da, 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 da. And I'm like, OK. I said, uh, you want me to be real honest with you? He's like, oh, yeah, absolutely. I said, I'm going to tell you, I'm about to hit you with some truth. So I'm just this is the forewarning. I'm going there. He was like, no, nah, bring it. I said, y'all sleeping together? crickets they looking at the ceiling they doing the floor and the ceiling ministry <laughs> I said don't hear this as a statement of judgment or condemnation that's not that's not where I'm going but here's what I'm saying when you start doing stuff that goes contrary to what God has laid out you keep doing it you get comfortable with it and the more comfortable you get with it the more common it becomes and before you know it you start justifying, oh, I can do this. It's, it's, it's okay. No, you bought a lot. Hook, line, and sinker. What do I need to do? You need to move out and quit touching that girl because she ain't your wife. Man, that's kind of tough. Walking with the Lord calls us to a greater call, man. Now, I'm, I'm encouraged to say 
when the conversation was done, he was crying because he realized he even said to me, I thought this was just so beautiful. He says, you know, I, I've been knowing for a long time I needed to do this, but I needed a swift kick in the bottom. But that's what happens when you're isolated. I'm like, what Bible study are you a part of? Well, we travel a lot. I said, so you ain't got no community. Well, not really. There you go. Let me be your community. Get out the house. <laughs> you need to move. Man, I got to leave. You need to move. Well, we, we can sleep in separate rooms. You need to move. Why would you even set yourself up for that temptation? Get out the house. Colossians 3, 5 through 9 say, therefore, put to death whatever is in you. Whatever is worldly, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath comes on the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them. But now you must also put away the following anger, wrath, malice, slander, filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man. Here's the thing. If you want to obey Christ in all things, you got to put to death whatever sin is in your life. And the way you put sin to death is you bring it into the light. Only things in the dark can fester and grow and get moldy and nasty. You put some light on it, shuts all of that down. So if you want to obey Christ in all things, in all things, it's going to require you to do a real significant heart check. Because the Lord may bring to life some things that you've kind of just filed away. And so what I would tell you is, if you filed it away, you might need to do some soul searching because you cannot obey Christ in all things if you won't obey him in some of them. Obey Christ in all things. Tell somebody, put God's truth on it. Supreme obedience costs more than regular obedience, just like supreme gas costs more than regular gas. The next thing Paul tells us is to act like men. Act like men. Hey, do me a favor. It's kind of I'm starting to feel my mojo coming on. So I'm starting to feel it. I'm starting to feel it. Do me a favor as loud as you can. On the count of three, I want you all to just yell at the top of your voices. Act like men. But look at somebody at your table so they can, so they can feel like you're their accountability this morning. So y'all ready? Y'all ready? All right, here we go. One, two, three. Yeah, yeah. That's the kind of loving, godly admonishment we need from time to time. You know what I'm saying? So if I see if I see some of y'all walking through the building and I just run up and hit you in your chest and I'll be like, act like men, then don't get mad at me. I'm just quoting the word of God. OK. Yeah, you can hit me back. That's fine. Bring it. Let's go. Because I need it, too. I, I need it, too. Just don't hit me. <laughs> just don't hit me. <laughs> act like men. So in the Apostle Paul's day, this was a frequent command. That's your blank there. This was a frequent command encouraging soldiers to conduct themselves with bravery and confidence. You know the difference between a little boy and a grown man? It's maturity. Maturity. Paul's encouragement here is very simple. Grow up. Grow up. You all, this is, this is, this is good because this setting is a little bit different. As I look around the room, I see, I see men that have a little bit of life experience behind them. So that's a good thing. But the, the, the majority of the guys I'm dealing with, they're not in this place where 
I'll just say it this way. Most of the guys I'm dealing with, I call them boys who can shave. Boys who can shave. They got a job and maybe a car. But they're not mature. And so as Paul is putting this before us, here's what I would here's what I would ask you to just think about. If Paul's encouragement here is to grow up, then what we need to know is self-discipline is the ultimate mark of maturity. Self-discipline is the ultimate undisputable mark of maturity. There's a pastor in Oklahoma by the name of uh, Craig Rochelle. He says that discipline is choosing what you want most over what you want now. Self-discipline is the undisputable mark of maturity. If there is an area of your life where you are not disciplined then the scriptures would say that's an area where you are vulnerable. You're vulnerable. And the enemy always goes back to his last place of victory. So if he got you there once before, he knows he can at least he thinks he can get you there once again. Why? Because you're vulnerable there. You're vulnerable there. Each of us has different weaknesses. What I would ask you in the way of self-discipline is, do you know what your weaknesses are? I'm going to take I'm going to make a sports analogy real quick. So one of the things that professional athletes do, they do it in college and high school as well, but professional athletes do. Is they scout their opponent. So like when I go down to the Toyota Center, I walk in the locker room and I'll see them with the scouting report so they know if, you know, we know that LeBron James likes to shoot 15 foot jumpers from the left elbow. I mean, that detail. We know that uh, we know that Steph Curry likes to just jack from everywhere, you just shoot from anywhere. Well, if you have a scouting report on your opposition, it actually gives you an advantage because what you're, what you're really trying to get to is what are their tendencies? What are their habits? So if this guy always likes to dribble left, then I'm going to play him in such a way that makes him have to dribble with the right. Well, y'all do know the enemy's been scouting us a whole lot longer than we've been scouting him. He knows your tendencies. He knows what you like. He knows what to do to trip you up. And so as it relates to acting like a man, if you know you've been scouted, the way you counter that is you sure up your vulnerabilities, which goes back to my initial question. Do you know your weaknesses? Because if you don't, I guarantee you the evil one does. And this fight isn't fair. This fight isn't fair. He's going for the jugular. He would love nothing more than to take you out to, for you to be a casualty such that everything that you want to be in Christ, he can basically say, I told you he wasn't one of his. You've been being scouted. He knows what you like. Do you know what you like? Do you know what will trip you up? If you don't, you need to find out. Every one of us in this room is a male biologically, but that does not make you a man. What makes you a man is accepting the responsibility that comes with having that title of male. Act like men. Manhood is assuming the responsibility regardless of the cost. Manhood is being willing to sacrifice and hurt for the betterment of the ones you say you love. 
Act like men. There's a gentleman by the name of Steve Farrar. I love this guy. He's a men's minister up in the Dallas area. He says that there are five markers that signify the significance from adolescence to manhood. And just two generations ago, there was no adolescence. Two generations ago, there was no adolescence. We've extended adolescence and postponed manhood. That's why I'm talking about we got these boys that can shave. Here are those five markers. Finishing your education. Moving out of your parents' home. Getting financially independent. Getting married. And then having some children under the covenant of marriage. I don't think I've seen anything in the culture that encourages these five things collectively. And yet you'll have people who will say, oh, I'm a, I'm a man. I'm a man. Like, no, nah, really, you're not a man. You're a male. There's a difference. There's a responsibility with having this title. These five markers are what Farrar would say, and I agree with these five markers, but you know how most men define manhood? Or three things. I'm going to use uh, first, first John 2.16 as, uh, as a support verse for these three areas that men use to define manhood. The first thing most men use to define manhood is who he knows. The pride of life. The second thing most men use to define manhood is what he has. The lust of the eyes. And then thirdly, most men define manhood with the number of women they've been with. The lust of the flesh. Those three areas. Who he knows, what he has, and how many women he's been with. That's 1 John 2.16 personified. So here's a self-diagnostic for you. And then these are some questions I want you to jot down as well. These are some other questions you guys can talk about around your tables when we get ready to wrap this thing up. What past mistakes do I still need to deal with fully? Again, we're talking about acting like men. What do you need to confess and be forgiven for? What do you need to make resolution for? What do you need to accept responsibility for? Where am I succeeding as a man right now in regards to my biblical calling? Where am I struggling or failing as a man right now? Failing as a man doesn't make you a failure. Quitting does. And truth be told, failure for a lot of us is God's way of keeping us close to him because he knows if he takes us, if he gives us too much, we're going to forget about him. Some self-diagnostics. What past mistakes do you need to deal with? Where are you succeeding as a man right now? And where are you struggling or failing as a man right now? See, when you've got good community, when you've got Paul, Timothy's, and Barnabas, these are great questions to dialogue through. But when you don't have those people in your life, you, you're wrestling with this stuff alone. You're wrestling with this stuff alone. I'll tell you where a lot of this for me kind of came to a head. So my wife and I went to a retreat. Um, we have the privilege of, of, of serving a lot of newlywed and uh, engaged couples here in our church. We went to a retreat because we, we believe that we can't teach what we're not trying to live out. So we're at this marriage retreat, and, man, the Lord just kicked me in the gut with this reality. Right now, there are some men that are getting the business from some young lady simply because I failed to act like a man. Simply because 
I wasn't brave enough to say, hey, you know what? This isn't going anywhere. I need to cut this off. Now, I'm not I'm not giving that young lady an out because obviously it's a two way street. But, you know, if I was confident enough to get her involved, I should have been mad enough to cut it loose when I realized this was not what the Lord wanted. But because I wasn't, because I was immature, there's some dudes right now, they're getting the business. They're getting their hats handed to them because of my failure to act like a man. So I had to I had to do some some soul searching. I shared this with my bride and she was like, you know what? That's good to hear. That's good to hear. Maybe just maybe God wants to use this in your life so that you can encourage some others. And so I don't know what that means for you personally, but my hope is that you would think through where you are now, because where you are now is directly related to what you've come through. And if you don't own your stuff, there's no forgiveness for that. There's no forgiveness for the things that you yourself won't own. Act like a man. How do we do this? You die to your own selfish needs and you give of yourself freely. You die to your own selfish needs and you give of yourself freely. Adam Mason, our head counselor here at the church, has this quote the deepest battle we'll ever face will be the battle of self-obsession versus God-obsession. The deepest battle we'll ever face, the deepest battle we'll ever fight will be the battle of self-obsession versus God-obsession. I think a very, very practical way of thinking through that is, do you want what God wants for you more than what you want? Do you want what God wants for you more than what you want for yourself? See, self-obsession says, no, I want what I want. God obsession says, God, I want what you want, even if that trumps what I want. And it should trump what you want. Again, he's God. You're not. If you said yes to Jesus, newsflash, your life doesn't belong to you. Your life doesn't belong to you. Matter of fact, you don't own anything. Everything we have is ours by stewardship. So if you've got children, they're yours by stewardship. If you've got a career, that's yours by stewardship. If you've got breath in your lungs, that's yours by stewardship. You don't own anything. We don't own anything. It's all his. He's just allowed us to manage a few things here and there. First Corinthians 13, 11, that was my support verse for, for this point, dying to your own selfish needs. This is Paul. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child and I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish Things away. Dying to self is a heroic act that requires frequent conscious decisions to fight against our natural self-interest. And here's what I mean when I say dying to self. Every single day, you need to be going to a funeral. Your own. Every single day. Because here it is. The day you don't die to yourself is the day Christ can't live through you. Every single day, there needs to be a, a funeral. You need to get your white gloves and your black suit. You're, Paul, you're a pallbearer at your own funeral. Because on those days, it's not about you. On those days, Christ can actually be Christ in and through you. Dying to self is, is tough. But it's necessary for men. It's tough, but it's necessary. There's a story told of a pastor who 
went into a hospital to visit a little girl who was losing her sight. And the little girl was gripped by fear. She's like, oh, I'm not going to be able to see. I, I, I don't know exactly what life is going to look like after that. And so the little girl said, Pastor, God is taking away my sight. What should I do? And the pastor very wisely leaned over the trembling little girl. And he said very softly to her, he said, don't let him take it. Just give it to him. Don't let him take it. Just give it to him. Our responsibility, our greatest joy and our usefulness is found in letting God fully possess his own property. You got to remember who you belong to. And when you remember who you belong to, it's easy to live with outstretched hands. Because you know you don't know nothing. It's not yours. That little ladybug, that little wife, that little girl he's giving you, she ain't yours. She's his. That, that career you want, it's his. That thing you're seeking, it's all his. And the reason you want to live with empty hands is because when you, when you got empty hands, it's easy to get stuff in and out. When you hold it too tightly, nothing gets in and nothing comes out. And God loves each and every one of you enough that if you clutch something that he's given you in the way of stewardship so tightly that it actually starts to usurp his authority in your life, it basically becomes your God, your idol, your whatever. He loves you enough that he'll break your fingers so that you can let it go. Doesn't sound like love, but, but it is if he's going to get his rightful place back. Dying to self, gentlemen, daily funerals. It's a necessity if we're going to act like men. The last thing I'll give you is what Paul says, and that is to be strong. Be strong. Be valiant for truth. Put what is correct before what is convenient. This is the last point, but certainly not the least. Because much of what we do as men on this earth is a monument to our own insecurity. Most of what we do is a monument to our own insecurity. True courage is trusting God when you really can rely on yourself. None of us likes the idea of feeling like I need help. I don't know. I don't know why God's wired that into men. But I think it would be worth noting that when Paul says be strong, he's not talking about physical strength. He's talking about spiritual strength. See, we hear strong in the culture and we think, oh, I need to go over to the FRC. And <sighs> For some of us, yeah, that's, that's true. That's necessary. But you know what's kind of funny? Have you, how many of y'all work out? Okay, good number of you guys. Have you ever seen guys that go to the gym and all they do is lift weights? So they look like, they look like, 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 like Zeus up here, but got chicken legs. You know what I'm talking about? All they're doing is arms. I'm working on my arms. I'm working on my delts. I'm working on my pecs. But legs look like little toothpicks. This is talking about being spiritually strong. So even if I look like a weakling, spiritually, you can't touch me. And not in an arrogant, prideful kind of way. It's because I know who I belong to. Every time I see a dude in the gym and all he's doing is upper body stuff, I'm just going to confess to y'all, I laugh. Because I'm thinking you're not doing your body any favors 
But a lot of us, that's what it looks like spiritually. We're working on one little thing. So spiritually, we got these big old arms, but spiritual chicken legs. You can't stand. You can't be firm. Let a good gust come through and them little chicken legs get knocked out from under you. Life throw you a curveball and you go. Spiritual strength is what Paul's referring to. Now, how do you gain physical strength? I see my man Lee here. Lee is a physical trainer. There are three things you got to do to get physically strong. You got to work out. You got to eat right. And you got to get your rest. Spiritually speaking, it's the exact same thing. You got to work out. You got to let the trials of life strengthen you. You've got to let adversity become your platform for what the Lord wants to do next. You got to work out. You got to eat right. The bread of heaven and living water. You got to eat right. Bible studies, great. Sunday church, great. But there's nothing like picking up a knife and a fork yourself and feeding yourself. And if you're content to be spoon fed, at some point you're going to be hungry. You better get a a fork and a knife and a spoon and learn how to feed yourself. And then you've got to get your rest. Gentlemen, we've got to rest in Jesus. There's not much in the culture that's going to encourage us to rest. Matter of fact, everything in the culture says go, 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 faster, more. But if rest is a part of how God has wired us to, to, to know him better and it's going to help us get spiritually strong, why would we not? Again, remember, we're talking about the Corinthian church. This was they became victims of the culture. And I think that's true for a lot of men. We become victims of the culture. If I never see any of you walk around here with big muscles. Outside of my man, say sorry. But spiritually, you swole. I'm rocking with you. I'm rocking with you. Paul said also. We need to. Well, he he didn't say this, but I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to imply this. This is how we do it. How can we be strong? We got to depend on the spirit from moment to moment. Depend on the spirit of God from moment to moment. Some of us take better care of our cell phones than we do ourselves. Anytime you see an outlet, you're trying to charge that baby. I got to find an outlet. Uh. What about being strong in the Lord in that same capacity? What about I'm, I'm about to go get charged up. I'm about to go spend some time with Jesus. Depending on the spirit from moment to moment. Here are those two verses. I want to I want to be sure to read this. Galatians 5:25. If we live by the spirit, we must also follow the spirit. And then Romans 8, 9, again, two verses from the Apostle Paul. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the spirit. Yes, we have a sinful nature, but God conquered that through Jesus on the cross, which means, yes, we sin. But we don't have to. We don't have to. We can allow God in Christ to renew our minds. And in doing so, we can be strong. And so the last statement I'm going to say is this. Today, my charge was to help you remember the mandate. I want to encourage you guys. Remember what God has put in front of you as as being a man. 
I'm going to say I'm going to say one other thing, and this could be considered offensive, but I think you all are mature enough to handle this. Having a penis between your legs does not make you a man. How you honor the Lord with what he's allowed you to steward, that's what makes you a man. And so if nothing else, I pray that like that guy I talked to yesterday, this would be a nice swift kick in the bottom if that's what you so need. Because truth be told, we don't need any more males. We need more men. And I believe you all have been given the opportunity to walk that out. So in the different spheres of influence where God has you, today, let's be men. Not just males. Let's be men. Those who are alert, those who are standing firm in the faith, those who act like men and those who are strong, not based on the world's standards, but based on what God says. Hope this has been an encouragement to you guys. Uh, I'd love to pray and then... um, Let's do some table time. Let's let's talk a little bit. So let's let's bow and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as I look around this room, I can't help but think this is a great collective. You've got young men in here. You've got older men. You've got men in between. But you've got men that that purpose this morning to get up at the crack of dawn to come and hear from you. And so my prayer is that they heard from you. They didn't hear Malcolm. My prayer is that they heard you. My prayer is that they heard something that maybe convicted them. Thank you that conviction is different from guilt. Thank you that you don't guilt us. You you will allow your spirit to convict us, to move us to action. We know that guilt has no redeeming value, but conviction does. And so may all of us be convicted such that we'll walk out of here and we'll, we'll, we'll live out our manhood in a way that honors you. We'll be salt. We'll be light. When we walk into place, people won't see us. They'll see Jesus in us. May we walk in humility today, Lord. May we walk in the boldness that says, I am blood bought, I'm redeemed. My life doesn't belong to me, and therefore I don't owe you any explanations. I'm his, fully his. Thank you for this gathering. Thank you for this church which allows us to meet. And I thank you, God, that you are loving us well. May we exemplify that in our various relationships. We bless you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys for your time. Thank you for joining us on this week's podcast. We hope you can join us in person. We meet Thursday mornings at 6.30 a.m. in the Garden Room of Houston's First Baptist Church. For more details and to register, you can visit us on the web at warriorsheart.org. That's warriorsheart.org. Have a great day.